Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you part two of the Watts family. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive in. everyone i just wanted to jump in here really quick and let you know we were having some technical difficulties with this episode that is why abby's audio sounds the way that it does it will be fixed for our next episode we just were not able to get it fixed for this one so thank you guys for listening and hope you enjoy the episode if you guys listened to part one then you know that we ended part one with chris talking to the local news and that was on august 14th Well, August 15th comes around and police are like, okay, we need to bring him in and do some questioning. They're like, will you complete a polygraph? And Chris is like, sure, I'll do a polygraph. That's fine. So Chris goes into a room with the person that's conducting the polygraph. And I apologize. I could not find the name of the lady that's conducting the polygraph. So I'm just going to refer to her as the administrator in this situation. So she sits down with him and she's like, all right, so I'm going to hook you up and we're going to go ahead and complete this test. And one thing that made me kind of giggle as she's like setting him up for everything, she's like, thank you so much for like agreeing to do this polygraph. And she's like, it would be really stupid if he sat down to do the polygraph, if he had something to do with their disappearance. And like I said, this is prior to starting the test. I love this. I bet he was so nervous. I'm sure. The administrator is fantastic, in my opinion, because she says this to him and then later on makes a comment during the test that I think is hilarious as well. Now, does she know the situation, what's going on, or is she coming into this polygraph with no information or just reading questions that were written? So she does know what's going on in this case. And she asks the questions, and then even afterwards, she stays with the detective when they're asking him questions after the polygraph. So she's very aware of what's going on. So he's all hooked up, and prior to doing a polygraph test, they go always go through some testing to kind of figure out where your levels are so that they have a better idea of whether or not you're being truthful, whether or not you're lying during the polygraph. So she asks him a series of questions. She shows them this board, and... The numbers one, two, and four are written on there. And she asks him, okay, which number is missing? And he says three. So she's like, okay, can you write three on here for me? So he writes the number three on the board. And she's like, awesome. So she tells him that she's going to ask a series of questions while the polygraph test is actually going. And this will be the one where she's getting the levels. So she says, I want you to lie to me. I'm going to ask you if you wrote these numbers on the page. And I'll ask you about each individual number. And she's like, you did technically write number three, but you're going to lie to me about it and tell me no. She also tells him that she'll let him know anytime she starts the polygraph test, anytime she stops it so that he's aware of when he's being tested. So she says, all right, that was a blow. So she says, all right, we're going to start the test. And she says, did you write number one? And he says, no. She says, did you write number two? And he says, no. She says, did you write number three? And he says, no. And she asks, did you write number four? And he says, no. And then she tells him the test has ended. And I went through them pretty quickly. But if you actually watch 
the polygraph occurring she does take a little while in between each question because she's waiting to see all the data show up on her computer she then looks through all the stuff and she's like okay perfect that you did great she's like i don't know if you noticed but after number three i had to stop and hit a couple extra buttons on my computer and she's like which is fantastic you you're a terrible liar so that is going to be great for you and i feel like you can physically see him shit a brick (laughs) he's just yeah shifts in his seat so uncomfortably and i'm like oh buddy yikes 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 that's not something you want to hear prior to going to a polygraph test where you already seem pretty suspicious yeah it doesn't look good for him and now he's a terrible liar so she's basically like you're an idiot for coming in here if you had something to do with her disappearance And you're a terrible liar, so we're going to know that you're an idiot that came in here. (laughs) I love it. And she's just my favorite person. So at this point, the administrator's like, all right, we're going to start this test. So remain as still as possible. And she starts asking him a series of questions. So she first asks him if he intends to answer all the questions truthfully. And of course, he says yes. Then she asks him if his first name is Chris. And that's an important question to ask because you can see in that moment whether or not he's lying or telling the truth in this exact test. So then the administrator asks, did you physically cause the disappearance for Shannon? And he says, no. Then she asks if he was born in 1985. This is one of those questions where once again, she's just confirming things to see how he's answering in that situation. Then she asks if he is lying about the last time that he saw Shannon, and he says no then she asks do you know where Shannon is now and he says no and then that she concludes the polygraph she didn't have to ask many questions uh it was a pretty quick test I think it lasted just a couple minutes and then she leaves and she's like all right I'll be back with results well she leaves and she comes back in with the detective and they sit down and they're like all right, dude, where is she? And he's like, I didn't do anything. And they're like, you see, we told you you were a dumbass for coming in here if you were involved in the disappearance. Actually, I think her exact word was actually really stupid, but dumbass, really stupid. Then we told you that you were a terrible liar. Then you lied on every single question regarding Shannon's disappearance on your polygraph. So we no, you're lying. So where is she? And he's like, I didn't. I promise. Like, I didn't lie on the polygraph. And they're like, you did though. <laughs> so the administrator starts trying to spin it. She's like, all right, let me let me try this tactic. All right. So she's like, did you kill Shannon because she hurt your girls? Did she hurt Bella and Cece and you felt like you needed to take Shannon out because she had hurt your little girls? And he goes, no, 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 Shannon, she didn't hurt the girls. No. And the administrator, once again, are you trying to protect Shannon? Just tell us if she did anything to those girls. And he's just, he keeps saying no, keeps saying no. And then he ends up asking if he could speak to his father, who had apparently flown here and was in some room of the building, like waiting to talk to Chris. And they're like, that's fine. You can go ahead and talk to, you can talk to your dad. And I think they were kind of like, He's obviously not going to confess to anything at this moment. So we need to just give him some time. They did. He said how long he'd been in there. I don't remember how long it was. It was multiple hours. I think it was like five or six hours that he said he'd been sitting in there 
and he was just like, please let me talk to my dad. Well, and at this point, he's not under arrest. Correct. 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 Yeah, they just brought him in for questioning. And he was being cooperative at this point. He was like, I'll come in. I'll take this test. I'll answer your questions. I want to find my wife. I want to find my girls. So he was trying to act as cooperative as possible. The dad goes in there and the camera's still on him. So we're still able to see what's occurring in this situation. So his dad comes in to talk to Chris and he's like, is there anything you need to tell me, basically? And Chris is like, I failed the polygraph. And he's like, is there any reason that you failed the polygraph? Like, is there anything you need to tell me? And he's like, he just kind of starts to break down. And he's like, I I killed Shannon. I, I don't want to protect her. I I don't want to protect Shannon. I want to come clean. His dad's like, what happened? And Chris is like, she hurt the kids. And he's like, what? And Chris is like, yeah, she just, she killed Bella and Celeste. He's like, she choked them. And the dad's like, and then like you hurt Shannon. He's and Chris is like, yeah, I I killed her out of rage. I choked her because she hurt Bella and Celeste. So it sounds like he's grabbing from what the administrator had said and trying to use that scenario. Yeah, it's like he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to take the blame for everything. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna blame everything. The administrator gave me this gave me this out almost where I could take the blame for one death but make it seem like I was doing something good because I was getting rid of her because she hurt the kids is kind of the path that he took. Right. And I guess up to this point, that could could be the truth. So then he asks, like, did you take the body somewhere? Do you know where they are? And Chris is like, yeah, I did. And so at this point, the administrator and the detective come back in and they're like, hey, like, are you okay? Because Chris is kind of crying, breaking down at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, tell us where the bodies are. So Chris tells them that they're at his job site that he was supposed to be at that morning. And so they bring out like an aerial view of the job site. And they said that the picture was just taken that day. And they ask him to basically draw on the map where the bodies are. So he points to this little area on the ground. He's like, Shannon is in a shallow grave over here. And Bella and Celeste are both in oil tanks. And he pointed to two separate oil tanks for their bodies. So police immediately are like, all right, we got to go. So they get in their vehicles. They go out to the job site that he was at. And they get there and they immediately find Shannon in a grave. And then after multiple hours of attempting to get the girls out, they are finally able to get Bella and Celeste out of the oil tanks that Chris had pointed police officials to. Obviously, the autopsy happens at some point. I don't know exactly when it occurred, uh, but we're going to go ahead and talk about that. So autopsy results showed that both Bella and Celeste had been suffocated and they had multiple broken bones from having been shoved into the oil tanks. And autopsy results of Shannon showed that she had been strangled to death. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. 
So the big question is why? Like, why did Chris do this? Why did he just all of a sudden, as it seems, murder his entire family? As we discussed in part one, there were some potential marital issues, but we come to find out that there is a little bit more going on. Chris was actually having an affair with a woman named Nicole Kessinger, which she had met through the same Anadarko Petroleum Company that he worked at. She was actually a geologist there who worked in the environmental department. And they met in June of 2018 and started having a physical relationship in early July. According to Nicole, and she's come forward and done a couple interviews, Chris had told her that he was basically in the process of a divorce and that he was leaving Shannon. And she also did not know about the kids initially. She found out a little bit later, and she certainly didn't know that Shannon was pregnant until after the murder occurred. Their relationship escalated relatively quickly, and they were together four to five times a week. Whenever Shannon was out on like business trips or vacation, Chris and Nicole were hanging out and spending time together. And actually on August 11th, so just a couple days prior to Shannon being murdered, she had seen a charge from Chris's bank account that he had spent a substantial amount of money at a restaurant, which Shannon thought was fishy because he had said he was going to a hockey game with his friends. And the amount he spent was clearly not just for him, which he had said and claimed that he ate by himself, but it did not add up. So Shannon certainly knew something was going on, and that could have been part of the trigger for Chris. It kind of seemed like it was all coming to a head. Also, I would like to note that after it came out that Chris's family was missing, Nicole started kind of questioning Chris and thought he was seeming a little sketchy and actually went to police and said, I think he's lying. I think something's up. I don't trust what he's saying. So kudos to her for, you know, at least taking that step. And, you know, along with this, obviously having an affair is a marital problem, but they were clearly not seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. As we've highlighted, they had some, they were fighting, they weren't getting along, and they did have um, some past financial issues as well. So in July of 2018, Shannon takes Bella and Celeste to North Carolina to visit family. And while they're there, Shannon is hanging out with Chris's mom, Cindy Watts. They're at his parents' house. And Cindy decides to buy ice cream for the girls. And she buys pistachio ice cream, which honestly is a terrible flavor in of itself. But the big issue with this is Celeste is extremely allergic to nuts and multiple other things that were in this pistachio ice cream. So Shannon is, it says Shannon yelled at Cindy. I know Shannon got upset with Cindy about it and was like, here's the thing, like you can't get this ice cream for Celeste. Like you're not taking her allergy seriously. Like she could actually die. And apparently the argument got heated enough that Cindy ended up kicking Shannon out of the house. And Shannon basically stopped talking to Chris's family at this point. This was something that Shannon and Chris disagreed on a lot. Chris was like, I don't know why you're so upset with my mom. And Shannon's like, because she could have killed our daughter, which I can understand because if there was a situation where Shannon had like gone out and left Celeste with the grandmother and she gave Celeste 
the ice cream, it could have been really bad. Luckily, she and Anne saw it. But I don't obviously know the whole backstory between whether or not Cindy had an entire list of Celeste allergies. I don't know. I would assume that she most likely had an idea, but maybe she just was unaware that this was something she couldn't have. Because some people are allergic to like just tree nuts and some people are allergic to just peanuts. Like there's different kind of nut allergies. So maybe it was one of those situations where her mom or where Cindy would just wasn't sure and got the wrong ice cream. They also had a birthday party for Celeste in July when they were gone and Chris's parents did not show up to the birthday party at all. So there were a lot of text messages between Shannon and Chris that came to light after the disappearance and everything. And obviously all of the messages Shannon had sent. So she had talked to her friends about the disagreements that her and Chris were having. And Shannon had been texting Chris where they were fighting about everything. And Chris basically was kind of ignoring Shannon the entire time that she was gone for those five, six weeks. And he ends up flying out July 31st to be with the family for a little while because he, I think they were going to be there for like a week together before they went back home. And as soon as he gets there, Shannon talks about how he was just really off-putting. Like he wasn't interested at all. She was texting her friends and she's like, I would think that he'd want to have some sort of physical connection with me. Like we haven't seen each other in five, six weeks. And as far as I know, he's not obviously got anything so you'd think that he'd want it from me since he's here but she's like I barely even got a kiss from him when he got off the airport then one of the text messages that she sends to her friend is like unless he's getting it from somewhere else which as Abby Mm. already mentioned Chris had his girlfriend Nicole back home and he had basically spent those entire weeks just with Nicole hanging out so it definitely put another rift in the marriage because Shannon was catching on to it. She's like, there's a lot of tension here. Obviously, he's not interested in me. And she was like trying everything she could to try to save the marriage. So we've mentioned a lot of different stressors that were obviously present in their relationship. And these could all be different motives or reasons for Chris to pretty much take Shannon out of his life permanently. And on August 21st, 2018, Chris is charged with first degree murder. And he's also charged with two additional first degree charges for having victims 12 and under. And at this point, we have no idea as far as we're aware, Bella and Celeste were both murdered by their mother, Shannon. And one really sad thing that I want to mention real quick is between August and the whole trial, pretty much, Shannon is getting so much hate because Chris has told the world that she murdered Bella and Celeste. And the world is saying she deserved to die. Chris absolutely should have killed her. She was a terrible mom. She was a controlling bitch. Like these are just comments that people that knew of her, not even really knew her, were saying just because Chris had spun the story and said, Shannon killed my daughters. Which is so interesting to me because he's clearly getting charged with all the murders. Like, police are pretty sure it's him. There's not really a lot of questions. So it's really sad that people took it that way. I think it really goes to show how much your opinion can be formed based on not even knowing the actual story or the whole story. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. Like, right. The fact that people were saying she deserved for Chris to kill her is just terrible. The other charges that Chris was facing at this time, on top of those 
three first degree charges were a lawful termination of a pregnancy and three counts of tampering with a body. So he was being charged with nine different items. So a couple things that we learn during the trial, during the investigation, I'm going to talk about it all now. So we learn that when Chris is loading up his truck, he's actually loading up his family. And it takes about 45 minutes for him to load up his truck and about 45 minutes for him to drive to the job site. And he says at this point that both the girls were dead because Shannon had killed them and he was taking them to dispose of their bodies because he said he panicked. Two other things that we learned at this time is the morning of August 13th, after he had killed Shannon, he had called some employees that were supposed to be going to the same job site that he was, and he all told them that none of them needed to come into work. He was like, you guys can all stay home today. I will be the only one that goes to work at this giant job site by myself today, which is suspicious, but it shows that he knew what he was going to do in the moment. It also is suspicious that around this time, he had also called a realtor to start the process of selling his house. And he'd also called the school the day the girls went missing to unenroll them in school. I mean, that's not, he's not covering his tracks well. Not even kind of. He's like, oh, I need to be inconspicuous. I'm going to call everybody and just be like, hey, my girls aren't gonna ever be in school again. And by the way, I wanna sell this house. What? Yeah, like very clearly was potentially going to go on the run. It just is not a great look. So these were obviously other things that police were like, yeah, dude, this really doesn't look good for you. So during the trial, they have the family members of Chris and Shannon and Bella and Celeste come and testify. So they allow Shannon's dad, Frank Ruzik, to come up and give a statement in regards to what had happened to his daughter and granddaughters. I'd like to say to the courts that Shannon, Bella, and Nico love and caring people. They love life. They love being around people who love them. They also, they always had good times. This is the first time they went to the beach this year and they loved it. But God only knows what happened that night. Life will never be the same without Shannon, Bella, and Celeste and Nico. Had all their lives to live, they were taken by a heartless one. This is the heartless one, the evil monster, who dare you take the lives of my daughter Shannon, Bella, Celeste, and Nico. I trusted you to take care of them, not kill them. And they also trusted you the heartless monster, and then you take them out like trash. You disgust me. They were loving and caring people. You may have taken their bodies from me, but you will never take the love they had for me. They loved us more than you will ever know because you know what love, you don't know what love is because if you did, you would not have killed them. You monster, thought you would get away with this. I don't know how, the cameras do not lie. You carry them out like trash of the house. Yes, 
I seen the videotape. You buried my, my daughter Shannon and, and Nico in a shallow grave. And then you put Bella and Celeste in huge containers of crude oil. You heartless monster. You have, you have to live with this vision every day of your life. And I hope you see that every time you close your eyes at night. Oh, I forgot, you have no heart or feelings or love. Let me tell you something, I will think of them every day of my life, and I love them every day of my life. Prison is too good for you. This, this is hard to say, but may God have mercy on your soul. I hope you enjoy your new life. It's nothing like the one you had out here. May the courts have no mercy on you. It's hard every day, it hurts in so many ways. I have read, heard people say that you're not a monster. No, you are not. You're an evil monster. Thank you. Love you, Shannon, Bella, and Nico. Love you, Pop Up and Dad. And one other thing, and Shannon says, she is super excited for justice today. Thank you, Your Honor. I literally brings tears to my eyes. I'm crying right now. Um, and it's not even the first time I've heard that, but it just like every time it gets me and Erica and I both have talked like we obviously cover a lot of crime, hence true crime podcast. But like this case has gotten to both of us so much. Yeah, this case has been a really rough one to cover. I have broken down and started crying while covering this case i don't even know how many times every documentary i've watched i've like sobbed through the whole thing i remember when this case was originally happening and it was everywhere and i remember feeling so upset and sick to my stomach every time i saw anything in regards to it and that's a big reason why we took so long to cover it is because we knew it was going to be a really hard one to cover but we had so many people request it that here we are so during the trial Shannon's brother comes up and he gives a statement and Chris's parents come up and they give a statement and Chris's mom talks but Chris's dad actually has somebody that represented him and spoke for him while he stood there because he said that he couldn't speak without breaking down and Chris's mom's just like I I have no idea what led you to do this like but I still love you and I feel like that just has to be such a hard situation for a mother to be in because you've loved your child your whole life and now that they've committed this terrible act and you have to figure out where you want to go with that basically. And Chris, I'd like to point out during the sentencing part of the trial, Chris says nothing. He doesn't speak. There's somebody that comes up and represents him and says a super short thing where he's like, I'm, where she says that Chris is sorry and he'd like to apologize to the families, but he couldn't even come up and say it himself. And I think that goes to say something about the man that he is. Right. Like when Shannon's father called him like an, an evil, heartless monster, like, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I agree. The entire time that they're up there talking about Chris and what he did to Shannon He's just looking down. He doesn't even have the guts to look up at the people that he's hurt. And he's just hanging his head in shame. And his knee is shaking terribly, like up and like he's just shaking so bad the entire time. And I'm like, I I don't feel bad for you at all. 
Shanann's family did feel like they'd give him some mercy and they requested to not have the death penalty acted upon for Chris. And they're like, you know, you took our daughter's life, but we don't feel like it's our choice to take yours. So they kind of just left it up to the judge at that point. The judge, all in all, did decide that he would respect their decision not to put him to death. So Chris was charged with three counts of first degree murder, plus two additional first degree charges for having victims under the age of 12, along with unlawful termination of a pregnancy and three counts of tampering with a body. So this all totaled up to five life sentences without the possibility of parole, including 48 years for the unlawful termination and then 36 years for disposing. So he's going to be in prison forever. There's no chance that he'll ever get out. Additionally, Shannon's family did file a civil suit against Chris Watts, and he ended up losing and was to owe over $6 million to Shannon's family for causing the death and for the grief, pain, and suffering that he caused as a result of the murders. They don't expect him to be able to actually pay the family this, but what it's doing is preventing him from making any type of money off of like interviews or what have you without that going to the family. So he's not going to profit off of anything. This wraps up part two of the Watts family story. We do have one more part coming next week for you where we discuss Chris's full confession that he comes out with later on. And we talk kind of about the psychology of him and maybe dive into a little bit more of why Chris did this. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.